Transformative technologies are empowering enterprises to progress into the digital age and are fueling the growth of industries across the globe. Welcome to GXC MeshUp, a podcast that discusses private 5G, edge computing, data access and management, and many more emerging technologies that will transform your business. We discuss use cases like robotic surgery, supply chain tracking, factory automation, and the security necessary for the billions of devices that will drive the fourth industrial revolution. Collaboration is at the heart of this next technological revolution. So join your hosts, the team at GXC, including Marco Hernandez, business development specialist, Sarah Evans, commercial marketing specialist, and myself, Ben Postuma, the head of product development, as we talk with experts about the technology we are all collectively building to deliver true digital transformation to ensure organizational success far into the future. There's more than one way to innovate and help bridge the divide between startups, enterprises, and telcos as the future of connectivity and information technologies are developed. The 5G Open Innovation Lab is one place trying to do it differently. 5G OIL is an ecosystem of enterprise partners, cutting-edge startups, and industry leaders maximizing the power of 5G and edge computing to build the future. The true power of digital transformation is at the edge, and the potential use cases are endless. Ben Postuma, head of product for GXC, and Sarah Evans, GXC's commercial marketing specialist, are talking to the CEO and co-founder of the 5G OIL, Jim Brzmitzis, who has great insights for carriers, entrepreneurs, and big tech companies alike trying to navigate the future. You don't want to miss a single part of this conversation as Jim speaks to the challenges and opportunities that are taking place to change the path of innovation. Jim took the experience that he gained from his years at Microsoft and created the 5G Open Innovation Lab to enable enterprise platform companies, startups, and leading industry players to come together and build the future. So our goal with the 5G Open Innovation Lab was by bringing these three communities together, innovators with startups, platforms with our existing partnerships, and then industry, that we become the place where you can start to really experiment, not just with the technology that startups are building, but these network capabilities that exist today um, and the industry use cases that we know exist today and those that we know are coming in the future in a safe environment, an environment where, hey, we can blow up a server and no one's going to get hurt in that process or no one's asking anyone to make any big company bets. But together as a community of innovation and platforms and industry, we can start to piece together what that future, that other side of the chasm really starts to look like. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the GXC Meshup. I'm your host, Ben Postuma, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Sarah Evans. Today, we are delighted to have Jim Brzmitzis here to talk about innovation opportunities within the 5G enterprise ecosystem. Jim is the founder and general partner of the 5G Open Innovation Lab, which is a global ecosystem for enterprises, carriers, and technology leaders working together to make 5G a reality. So with that, Jim, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Ben. Thank you for inviting me to the show and, and Sarah as well. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, Jim, I, I want to kick this off um, and give a little bit of time to talk about what is the 5G Open Innovation Lab? Where did it come from and what are you doing with it today? Sure. To understand the the why behind the 5G Open Innovation Lab, let's dive in just for a moment about what 5G is. Um, I had 
been at Microsoft for almost 14 years prior to that at Oracle and PeopleSoft. And then I started my career at Nortel Networks. And so I had seen the transition made in the IT world from mainframe that predated me to client server, to the web, to what we see today as cloud. And as I was digging more into what was all the hoopla about with 5G, I started to realize that for the carriers, 5G was more than just a new set of standards. It was a fundamental transformation of how they constructed and orchestrated their networks and the cloudification of those networks uh, that was so different. And as a result of that, we get to see all the, and enjoy all of the speeds and feeds that we hear about with 5G from you know gigabit speeds for mobile devices to all these transformative experiences. So as you know, the software developer geek in me looked at this, I thought, wow, this is fantastic for the first time ever, really, that carriers have this opportunity now to transform the network value that they've created beyond just connectivity into this new world of computing on the edge and a space that enterprises are looking quite, quite closely at as a way for them to uh, deliver new efficiencies in, in, in their operations, to create new experiences and the, and the such. And so I thought the carriers were well positioned in that world. And it turns out, long story short, that that wasn't the case. And in many cases, the software ecosystem really shied away from working directly with what we call the CSPs, the carriers. And as I dug deeper and deeper into that, I understood that there was this pretty in, in, uh, pretty significant gap between where the software ecosystem was going and the the opportunity in 5G. And then uh, on the carrier side, you know, their willingness to really innovate in that world. It's quite a big world for them to jump from providing connectivity connectivity services into cloud edge services. And so the lab was started uh, really to do three things. The first was to create an ecosystem that we could engage the software ecosystem with. And, and this is a range of startups. And we've had the privilege to work with GenXCom and 70 other startup founders across a range of, of different teams from early stage angel funded teams to much, much later stage Series C's teams. So this becomes a programmatic way to engage with them on that. The second was to create a, a set of platform partnerships that initiated with Intel and T-Mobile, but has now grown to include uh, Microsoft and Accenture and Avanade and uh, Ericsson and Nokia, Palo Alto Networks, and uh, 13 different partners and more that we hope to uh, formally announce throughout this year. Uh, so bringing those platform technologies together was really, really important because the edge is, is the Wild West at this point. It has not fully been realized its value nor defined. And a lot of these different um, partners that we have you know, have a role in kind of where that's going, or at least their technology platforms will play a pretty significant role. The third thing we wanted to do was to expose both the platform capabilities of our partners and the innovation from our startups to a set of industry players. And we have uh, some industry partners that are involved in the lab, one of which we publicly announced called CNH, who develops um, heavy industrial equipment for the agriculture industry and construction and others. And there's other partners that we're looking to bring on as well. Those industry partners are quite important because those industry partners really are the keepers of, of use cases. Um, and so by bringing them to the table, it wasn't just about, hey, these are great large enterprises doing some really great large things. These are the enterprises that are going to have pretty significant dependencies on connectivity, pretty pretty significant dependencies on computing on the edge, um, in addition to all their dependencies today on, on big hyperscale edge and, and hybrid edge as well. So bringing those three uh, together in a, in a programmatic way was really the goal 
of the 5G lab. The, the fourth goal, if, if I could add one to that, was in by bringing that together, if you remember the whole crossing in the chasm uh, business literature that had been written years ago, by bringing all those things together, then you narrow the risk for the CSPs who understand that for them to have uh, a much more you know, valuable play in the ecosystem longer term by connecting into the software ecosystem, uh, they don't have to make any major bet the company risks, but rather they could be surrounded with and collaborate with a set of platform partners that are global in scale, a set of industry enterprises that are global in scale, and a bunch of a great set of startups that are you know, really challenging norms and creating new capabilities that will take advantage of where connectivity and edge computing is going. And to do it inside our lab was the place to do it. That's what we like to refer to as a safe place because you can experiment and learn and no one's going to get fired for anything that doesn't go right, but at least we're learning together. And so that was the reason why the lab got started. We started in 2020 with our first program. We're very fortunate to have had the opportunity to collaborate with GenXCom in our second batch. Um, and since then, we've added 71 teams uh, to the program that have raised collectively now north of uh, $1 billion. Well, that's excellent. I, I really appreciate that overview. I, I think that the the overall reason for the lab and the justification for it is, is exceptionally clear to me. I mean, I've, I've been in this space for a great many years and I've worked a long time in LTE and, and I've seen that start to emerge into 5G. And, and one of the things I, I recall constantly talking about, and to be honest, we're still having this conversation today, and it really is, what are the use cases for 5G? And even, sure. you know, two or three years ago, the only thing we could really talk about is those three core tenets, you know, the enhanced broadband, the massive machine type communication and the ultra low latency. Yep. And so you mentioned there's a lot of hoopla around this and there have been a lot of, to be honest, a lot of really great marketing material has spun out of that, but it has taken a long time for the industry, especially as we look at enterprise and industry 4.0 type applications to really start to understand what are the key use cases that are going to drive digital transformation across these enterprises? So as you've assembled this amazing ecosystem of different um, hyperscalers, industry partners, and aggressive and innovative startups, what are the things that you've really started to see now in the last you know, six to 12 months start to emerge as those really key use cases that industries like, like CNH can take and start implementing today as we look towards a more connected future? Well, there's many, um, there's many use cases really. Um, so there's, there's two sides of that question. I'll answer your question directly and then I'll, I'll, I'll pose sort of a, um, a perspective that, you know, might ruffle some feathers, but it's, it's an interesting perspective nonetheless to, to talk about. So the first to answer your question directly, there's a number of different use cases that we're seeing from the use and implementation of augmented reality in the field, whether it's in surgeries or in-field service or others. Um, that's been a, a world that's kind of been out there for the last eight to 10 years. But I think just like IoT is today, is really going to see a really strong act two and, and become more of a mainstay in enterprise, is my opinion. I see a set of use cases that are very much machine to machine. So um, we've had a few teams like Blue White Robotics that have taken autonomous capabilities and supplemented that in otherwise dumb machinery. Uh, machines like tractors and combines that had no autonomous capabilities whatsoever, now becoming fully autonomized. And in the process of becoming fully autonomized uh, to a grower who's using their capabilities, can they, they, they can now schedule and, and actually use these machines to go run jobs like seeding and uh, doing other roles um, in farming without, without any people involved whatsoever. So that's really interesting. Uh, we've had some teams that are experimenting in the IoT world 
Um, I mentioned IoT coming in as a second act. IoT was a big, you know, big game uh, seven or so years ago. Lots of data, not many, you know, not many people doing a lot with that data. Um, I think as we've all sort of recovered from the pandemic and the recovery is still in process today. On the industrial side, enterprises um, were, were kind of shuttered by the, the the ripples of the pandemic to global markets, including their own fortunes. And as a result, lots of those enterprises, as we've seen from our partners like Avanade and Accenture, are really doubling down their investments in digital transformation type uh, projects that will help them build resiliency in how they go to market, whether they're in support you know, supply chain or manufacturing or retail, whatever the industry is. And so those companies are looking to IoT capabilities, not just for sensing stuff, but actually moving to more autonomous operations of, of their supply chains and, and other needs. So that's really, really interesting. To be con slightly controversial, um, I'll, I'll use an example of one of our teams, a uh, team led by Nadine Haram out of the UK, their their name is Proximy. They've raised, uh, their last raise was a $37 million Series B. <clears throat> Nadine's done some amazing work. Her and her team have done some really cool things. Most, most importantly, they've created an augmented reality platform that allows surgeons who are operating on a, on a case to, you know, pull in expertise from anywhere in the world and to have the other surgeon essentially be virtually present in, in the case while the the, the surgeon who's there and physically is performing, uh, you know, the, the surgery and, and to get their advice that improves this patient's outcome that teaches the, the surgeon who's in uh, a case to, to leverage others' knowledges and everyone sort of wins in that scenario. So that's a really interesting use case. And you can, you can see there's an obvious value for, um, for a hospital in, in that type of capability. And in many cases, as Nadine's reported to me, or shared rather with me, is that um, that one use case is actually driving the need for indoor 5G. Many hospitals sort of deploy Proxmi with, with Wi-Fi as a connectivity play, but then, you know, look at that and say, well, this is great. What if we just went with indoor 5G as an example of sort of moving on from Wi-Fi or complementing Wi-Fi with, with better connectivity in, in the internal 5G world? My controversial point is if I'm a CSP today and I'm trying to put a SIM card in a HoloLens or a Magic Leap device for that one particular use case, that's great. It's fine. You're going to generate some revenue. You'll probably be involved in some of these enterprise use cases. But when you look at how much actually goes into enabling that use case, the cloud computing components of that, the hardware components of it, the services that go with it. In the case of, as Nadine had shared with me, in some cases, you know, even building out private 5G, there's all these other additional dollars that are out there to be made. And if you're just focused on connectivity, you're leaving a pretty significant share of wallet on the table. And that's what I get really excited about for the CSPs, because I think that is a transformative opportunity for them to think broadly beyond connectivity and to think of, of 5G as really uh, you know, a, a much bigger opportunity that involves both the software ecosystem and, and using their networks in different ways than they've been used to in the past, all of which is only made possible in this transition to where 5G is going from its technology point of view. So, Jim, speaking to the carriers and their struggle to get out of their old ways of looking at business, how can we close that gap that you spoke of between the developer and the carrier? What do the telcos need to do going forward? Yeah, certainly. So... Um, in, in one way, for the for the carriers, um, looking outside their existing, you know, premise of connectivity is is really the holy grail. Into, hey, we have a network, and that network has miles and miles worth of fiber. The network is littered with 
littered in a good way with you know compute capacity. Um, and we're moving more and more to microservices-based architectures, which is all in, in the specifications for 5G. You're essentially building a cloud service that runs one workload, and that is to connect mobile devices. What if you were to turn that workload into something that, or that, that platform capability rather, into something that could run so much more? And if you followed the early days of what hyperscale computing is today, that more or less is essentially the intersection of opportunity that Jeff Bezos had, had seen in standing up a fairly substantial stamp of computing for running Amazon.com and the early days of what became AWS um, as a cloud service. I've also seen Microsoft go through its transitions as well as taking of taking its perpetual licensed products like a Windows Server, Exchange Server, SharePoint, and others, and, and turning those into cloud services that we now know as Azure or Office 365 or Microsoft 365. So for the carriers, it, it's, it's about thinking differently. You have a, a service today that primarily focuses on connectivity, and you have this now ability to plug into where, where I think is a much broader ecosystem opportunity in the edge. Now, the edge is a really interesting concept today. It's not even really a concept. It's, it's starting to be um, explored at, you know, at scale in some cases. Uh, we, have, uh, we, we operate two of our own field, 5G field labs. Uh, we're very, very much looking forward to seeing Gen X Com capabilities deployed at one of them. But at that one specific farm, about four times a year, we have one of our teams called Innovate Ag who will uh, with some specialized LIDAR equipment and soil sensing equipment, we'll run a five-acre pass of a tree fruit farm. And in doing so, generate about 10 terabytes worth of data. Edge computing is really interesting, and we have that capability at that farm so that we can offload that 10 terabytes of data, process the data locally, and then move the process data, this much smaller footprint of that, to the public cloud instance, in their case, to an Azure instance, that could then transform that data and use that data to help the grower understand what they're growing is. So to answer your question directly, Sarah, that that one process of just collecting massive amounts of data on the edge, not having to round robin that data to a, a hyperscaler instance for processing, but rather processing it closer to where the data is being collected, is that is a set of use cases that I see as quite advantageous for the carriers to start to take a much, much, much closer look at. The hyperscaler is already starting to make moves in that area, right? If you follow AWS, they announced two plus years ago Outpost with Wavelength as a service layer for CSPs to deploy on their networks. Uh, Microsoft has the Azure Stack Edge with what they're doing through Azure for operators as well. Uh, Google's got something very similar with Anthos. Um, so the, the hyperscalers recognize the, the whole world of, of opportunity the edge. In fact, uh, about three or four weeks ago, if I remember correctly, um, Amazon announced that they were going to start unlocking um, edge instances in 32 cities around the world. So think of this as an extension of the AWS cloud service from their big regional data centers now into these 32 different cities having edge computing instances that developers could get access to as well. If that's any indicator of where the hyperscalers kind of see the edge opportunity, it's there's no argument. It's 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 coming and it's there. And the enterprise we think is is going to be the biggest benefactor of those types of services. For developers, it's about unlocking that new capability so that they can create a new set of experiences that that is more time based. That really utilizes the the processing power of where the edge is, and not having to move massive amounts of data being collected on the far edge into cloud instances. Um, and for uh, startups like like Steve from Innovate Ag. Uh, it means that that they can deliver far richer value to their clients in this in his case growers uh, much more quickly today Steve 
will collect all that data, about 10 terabytes worth, load up his side-by-side -side with that LiDAR and soil sensing equipment, and, and literally offload that data to an Azure Stack Edge that runs in his trailer that he's got a cooler on um, so that he can get to his next job, process the data that's on the side-by-side, -side, and then when he gets to a, a somewhat viable internet connection, upload that process data to his Azure instance and be done with it. So he's, he's had to go to quite extreme lengths to be able to process data. If that was connected to a, a CSP network that had the capabilities of doing it, he's while he's driving to his next um, surveying job, all that data is being pulled off of the device and, and actually being processed on the CSP's edge and then out to a cloud provider's network. Um, I look at this as a way to put CSP ARPU on steroids because now you're not only monetizing the connectivity piece of it, you're, we were monetizing a portion of of the network services as compute, right? As classic cloud computing. And to, to me, that's a differentiator for the carriers. <clears throat> In a world where they've seen declining, <clears throat> pardon me, declining ARPU now for several years, since 1993, I think it was the last, they had the height of ARPU at $76 and it's been declining ever since to as, as far as $36 in 2020, if I remember correctly. Um, this is one way of not only um, uplifting ARPU, but it's also a way of plugging into the value ecosystem we call the software ecosystem. That software ecosystem is what's created value on top of your uh, mobile devices, whatever those devices are, iPhones, Androids, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's the same software ecosystem that's created value that runs on big hyperscale clouds. Without those apps, without those developers creating new experiences, none of those platforms uh, really will exist. So Jim, you talk a little bit about um, this edge cloud hybrid architecture and at GXC, our, our core business model is based on that concept. We recognize that, you know, at the very base of it, we are providing that, that, you know, first order of need connectivity service to connect all the devices across an ecosystem. And that, that is what has to be the day one. That's what everybody who's in this space is looking after for the very, very first go around, because without connectivity and without a baseline for connectivity, you really don't have anything else, but, but very, very quickly, we need to start looking at the next steps and we need to start understanding what you just described very, very well, which is the value of the network is in the data that's collected and analyzed on the network, the data that can be actioned on within the network, and the ability to run and host the applications and services that an enterprise requires for their day-to-day -day business. Nobody buys a network just for connectivity's sake. They buy the network because it's a required component of driving their application ecosystem. So we have spent a lot of time building out this edge cloud hybrid architecture and, and really moving towards that next step, working with hyperscalers and so on and so forth. But what are some other examples you've seen of, of people really starting to utilize the data on the network and, and bringing as much of that back to the edge as possible while working in this full you know, edge cloud hybridized architecture? I think the closest example that I've seen to, to date for now, um, you know, really straddles a, a, a couple of different areas. So the first is enterprises are, are and, and GXC I think is gonna benefit quite well from this, but enterprises are very much taking a serious look at private enterprise networking. And I, I don't wanna step into the religious war of Wi-Fi 6 versus <clears throat> cellular based uh, wireless, but you know, in, in, in Germany about two summers ago, there was a, an FCC-like auction that the German government hosted and, and who shows up next to the CSPs? BMW and Mercedes. Why? Because they want private spectrum to connect their connected cars to. So that that is obvious. And we, we saw something similar happen here in the United States when the FCC for the first time ever really um, 
auctioned off a, a set of public spectrum using CBRS. And it was about 150 megahertz of the spectrum between 3.5 gigs and um, 3.75 or 3.7 gigs. Anyhow, um, and there was $4 billion bought up there. And if you break it down, there was a number of enterprises like Chevron and John Deere and others who are starting to vie for their own own spectrum. And so private enterprise networking for me is is a is a twofold opportunity. One is it's very site specific, right? So you might have a, um, a facility, an oil refinery, a big manufacturing warehouse, something that requires broadband connectivity uh, at a reliable scale. And, and cellular starts to look a lot more advantageous than existing and perhaps even some future Wi-Fi solutions as well. And I say some because the, the standards for Wi-Fi 6 are very much still maturing. So I think there's a, a lot of, you know, enterprise interest on that. And we're seeing a number of big players in, in this world, in the world that you all exist in as well, that, you know, continue to generate some traction. And, and if they're in the startup world, actually continue generating some investor interest as well. Now, that's, no, that's not never a, an indicator of success, but uh, usually it's a, it's, it's a canary in the coal mine, if you will. <clears throat> so there's that. Um, but you're also starting to see, you know, s some of these players like like a BMW or Mercedes and a General Motors with cruise automation that are looking at, you know, the edge as pivotal for for some of the services that they would like to, um, you know, that, that that they would like to make available in the future, given where they they see their markets and how they see their customers interacting with their products. Uh, what was funny was, and this is totally unrelated, but over the weekend. Uh, cruise automation who's got a you know owned by GM now and has a, a services deployed in San Francisco there was a cruise vehicle that was out I guess doing a run and got pulled over by a police officer for their headlights not being on and the police officer came up to approach the vehicle and saw nobody in the car it was sort of a you know fun reaction to see that that happened but um, and then later the car kind of sped, not sped away, it moved a little further up and then stopped and put on its blinkers. But all of that requires not just connectivity and reliable connectivity, all of that requires a ton of processing, right? Because when you're not operating a vehicle in the vehicle and you're operating it either remotely or completely autonomously, you're ingesting, I would imagine, gigabytes, if not terabytes of data in a day. And those vehicles need to process that uh, real time many cases, not even near real time, like real time. And there's so much, you know, there's only so much compute that you'll put on the car. And long-term, the economics will play out either in favor of or or not of moving some of that compute to a cloud service. And that's where, you know, we haven't seen that day arrive yet, but it sure looks like it's it's coming there. Um, in, in the circles that, you know, we operate in, um, there, you know, there's been lots of chatter about, you know, the future of where smartphones are going. And today they're pretty powerful devices, but in the future, just like what we're seeing with the Windows ecosystem, today Microsoft Windows is very much an operating system that runs on a laptop. In the future, um, with Windows 12, I, I, I was just reading this morning, it, it could be clearly as a service. Um, and so when that happens, you're, you're offloading the compute off of devices, in this case, a PC or in mobile devices, off devices into a cloud service. Well, your first line of connectivity is the CSPs. Imagine connecting 100 million plus smartphones into a network that you're now processing, you know, real time activities on the device itself in lieu of, uh, you know, either a very small OS footprint or no OS footprint at all. That's a pretty interesting business model. That that you know that requires compute, um, and so from from my standpoint, that's 
you know, that's all sort of theory and it's out there and it's in the future. I look at that saying, gosh, if, if we all think that the world is going to kind of look like a compute world in the future, which it is, it's pretty obvious that it's going in that direction. Then as a CSP, now's the time to actually experiment. What would your value be in that? And how do you surround yourself in that ecosystem? And then how do you learn from the software ecosystem, the kinds of services and uh, experiences that they want to be you know, able to deliver in the future? And then you play a role in that. There's no failure in that, in my opinion, as we've seen play already in hyperscale computing. Uh, there's there's no there's no failure in that. Not doing something is you know kind of lead lead to other conversations, which you know I certainly have my opinions on, but not not here to share. So going back to your experience with some of the earlier days and and watching all of these different batches go through your lab, and I understand that this is unlike accelerators or incubators or other programs. This is a little bit different. Can you speak to, I like how you guys talk to the sandbox where everyone kind of comes together and, and plays in a safety zone. Can you kind of speak more to that and the opportunity for startups? You bet. So on one side of this proverbial chasm, you have the existing business model today, right? Which let's look at the CSPs. It's very much a, a connectivity play. On the other side of this chasm, you have something that looks very different from that. And for argument's sake, we've been talking about edge computing. So let's just say it's kind of edge computing. To make a leap like that, Sarah, from where you are today into something that's relatively new, right? You've never really run cloud services at scale. You've never transformed your network into something that not just devices, but developers could deploy applications to. It's a totally different approach, right? And it's a big leap. It, it's a very substantial leap, in my opinion. So our goal with the 5G Open Innovation Lab was by bringing these three these three communities together, innovators with startups, platforms with our existing partnerships, and then industry, that we become the place where you can start to really experiment, not just with the technology that startups are building, but these network capabilities that exist today um, and the industry use cases that we know exist today and those that we know are coming in the future in a safe environment, an environment where, hey, we can blow up a server and no one's going to get hurt in that process or no one's asking anyone to make any big company bets. But together, as a community of innovation and platforms and industry, we can start to piece together what that future, that other side of the chasm really starts to look like and make it more of a journey than something that, you know, you put your blinders on and say, hey, we've got to be in this world. And so therefore, we're just going to drop everything we're doing and go full steam ahead in, in doing that. Um, and so that was the goal with the, the, the 5G Open Innovation Lab was to create a, a place, not just a program, but a place where that level of interactivity between these three communities could play out in, in a world that I like to refer to as safe, but essentially a world that, you know, that we can um, we can innovate without boundaries, without borders. And if it if it doesn't work out, it's not a big deal. You reset a server, or you reimage something, and you kind of go at it again. But at least we're trying. At least we're doing something that's that's different. And oftentimes. And this is certainly the case for any large organization. This is not a comment related to any of the CSPs, but it's really any large organization. And something that Clayton Christensen wrote, uh, wrote about quite a bit uh, in, in his time, which was the innovator's dilemma is really about being stuck in your, in your silo, right? And making decisions that are appropriate for where your business is going to get to a point where you're really not that important anymore. You become, quote unquote, disrupted. Um, so we wanted to create, and our vision for the lab and the lab program was to create an environment where... Um, a, a CSP or an enterprise or a platform partner or even a startup can can come together and, and step outside of their silos and to collaborate in a way that, you know, that is uh, a lot less frictioned 
and a lot more um, open for for collaboration. And so that's that's our goal with our lab environment. And when we say, hey, we're we're super eager to get GXC equipment out with us, it's not just we're really excited to get GXC equipment. You know, we want to put GXC equipment through the paces of what our platform partners would expect. Um, at some point, we're going to want to put GXC equipment through the paces that our enterprise partners would expect. Uh, and more importantly, maybe even open up that GXC equipment such that the network is now available for other people to build new capabilities on. In its own right, GXC has its abilities to do its own testing and and, and stuff with, with its various partners and its enterprises. But we hope that our lab environment becomes a place where they can do that and so much more. And so that's our goal with the lab program and the lab environment was to really foster this collaboration across these three organizations and for each of them and for different reasons, really help them step outside of their silos. Well, I can definitely speak to some of the success that I've seen as we did go through the cohort and how it kind of molded and shaped our messaging system, how we approached, you know, the market and what we're the direction we're trying to take it to. So I definitely love what you put together and I can validate I've seen with my own two eyes the success that comes from that kind of a platform. Well, it's a team sport. Um, I'm so blessed and we are so blessed to be able to work with such great people here at the lab. None of this would have been possible without them and certainly our partners and our startups as well. So thank you. Yeah, and, and I want to add into that as well. You know, as the as the head of product development for GXC, and, and really, you know, I believe I probably speak for the majority of companies who are involved with the lab, is that it is a really a unique opportunity to be able to not only provide a a proving ground for our technology, so to speak, but also to be able to collaborate with other people who are in adjacent spaces building on different things on the network. Um, but I do want to wrap this up, Jim, by asking. You know, we bring in these coalitions of technologists and we have a lot of people who are, you know, at a very surface level or a very high level, rather, we're all very much interested in, in the same common goals. We want to transform enterprise and we, we really want to transform the world using 5G applications and technologies. To do that, though, you know, sometimes we're collaborators, sometimes we're competitors, sometimes we're working with big companies, sometimes we're working with small companies. We all want to innovate, but sometimes there are barriers to that innovation for whatever reason. What are some of the challenges and things that you've seen, maybe not just within the companies in the lab, but but in general across the entire space, where are some of those barriers to innovation and what are the things that need to get broken down so that we can truly start to emerge and and disrupt the existing telco model to be able to provide this you know next generation full digital transformation landscape? That's a great question, Ben. It's something that, you know, gets me out of bed every day. The, you know, my, my interpretation of what open innovation is, is that there's a, there's a premise that there are, there are great ideas everywhere. And despite how well capitalized a team is, or despite how well positioned a large platform provider is, um, or, or an enterprise is for that matter, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, culturally, it's hard to step outside of one's silo. Um, and I was very fortunate in my time at Microsoft to see a you know a leader like Satya Nadella take a company that was very much focused on perpetual licenses as a way to exchanging value for its products to to moving that model to the cloud and not just saying okay today you buy Windows Server as a perpetual license on a DVD disk or as a digital download but tomorrow you're going to buy Windows Server as a service right we call that Azure that's a huge transformation that. 
um, I, I wouldn't, I would not say that was, uh, you know, one that was, you know, was for the lighthearted. It was, it was a different way of selling. It was a different way of training your sales reps, uh, and your, and your consulting engagements and all the other fun stuff. It, it was a different, entirely different sales motion, right? No longer were you sitting with big enterprise customers and signing, you know, um, agreements for three years. Uh, you were basically signing for pre-bought capacity and then hoping that they start to use that capacity. There was a there's a whole new motion for your partner ecosystem. And I can go on for days. It was just different. Um, and so for me, open innovation means that, you know, there's a bunch of ideas that are coming from all corners of the world. If you can coalesce that around a thematic area, in our case, connectivity and where edge computing is going and you can draw in the right players the innovators the platforms and the industries to collaborate then there's benefit all the way around for the startup founder like yourselves in sriram you know you've built the better mousetrap but now you want to go see how that mousetrap will go interop with the big platforms or play a role in the enterprise somewhere and despite how great you think what you've built is there might be some gotchas in in your discussions with enterprises around the needs that they have today and what they're able to really stomach has changed today versus where they need to be in the future. And similarly, so for the platform folks, for the platform folks, you know, they build a bunch of these capabilities that they enable for their big enterprise customers. But maybe by seeing what Genexcom has been doing with uh, C&H, there might be a new service or a new capability in their edge um, capabilities or or their hyperscale services that, uh, or their products generally that, you know, they don't have a, a, a solution for and something that they you know, we'll want to see you know them develop for themselves and for the enterprises. Obviously, there's just a ton of really cool innovation that is happening in the startup ecosystem. And when you take out the you know the Microsofts, the Intel's, the VMware's, those types of partners out of the mix who are actively working with the developer ecosystem and and tie yourself more to the enterprises that don't necessarily have that muscle internally, there's just a whole world of ideas that that they're not exposed to on a daily basis. And so for them, the lab becomes a really interesting place. You could argue to an extent for some of the sort of third-party R&D efforts that exposes them to great ideas that that may not come you know, to them directly, but by being involved in this environment, this ecosystem that they get exposure to. So for, for, for me, open innovation is, is a way to uh, collaborate with a set of like-minded individuals from innovation to platforms to enterprises. And, and will there be competitiveness? Sure. There's competitiveness really in, in any sort of engagement that's out there. But uh, we, we haven't necessarily seen that being a, too much of an issue because people understand the premise of open innovation. It's you're openly innovating. And if there happens to be um, a, a you know, real engagement between, let's say, a Gen XCOM and another partner and an industry customer, that they're going to go off and do that together. It, it's not a one size fits all from that standpoint. But the, the exposure to those ideas, the exposure to thinking differently is really helpful and transformative for all of those communities. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Jim. Is there anything else that you would like to leave us with or how can people find you? Yeah, we've been blessed to be able to work with some amazing teams. And I don't say this lightly, but GenXCOM was certainly high on our list of teams that we had a chance to work with. And so we'd love to continue working with teams like, like you all. We look at companies that are both early stage, angel funded to teams that are late stage, Series C funded as well, and, and everything in between. We're focused entirely on the enterprise as a segment. Um, that's where we see the biggest opportunity for where um, wireless and computing on the edge is going. And by the way, we talked a lot about where 5G is today. There's already chatter in the marketplace around 6G. To me, the premise for 5G, 6G, and 7G is really all the same, right? It's just enhanced wireless connectivity. It's more secure, more more faster. It's now what you do behind those networks that really matter, which is the edge piece. 
And so we're always constantly looking for that intersection, whether it's 5G today, 6G tomorrow, 7G in the next 20 years, whatever those standards um, end up becoming. I mean, for the enterprises, you know, we we'd love to be the eyes and ears into their, you know, the startup ecosystem journeys themselves. A lot of these enterprises are, in many many cases, I mentioned earlier, digitally transforming. Some of them spend, um, you know, a lot of money in, in in consulting engagements and digital transformation exercises. Are fantastic, but we, you know, we happen to have the privilege to work with great teams like GXC and others who are bringing new innovations and new capabilities to market, and we'd love to partner with them on exposing them to that side of the software ecosystem. That's excellent. And how can people find you, Jim? We are available online at 5goilab.com. Certainly reach out to me at jim at 5goilab.com with any questions. Um, And then we do host uh, meetups here in Seattle for the time being. Uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed, we can do some meetups more regionally across the United States and maybe even around the world as well. And if so, uh, our website will have the latest and greatest on our event efforts going forward. Excellent. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, thank you both for hosting me today. It was a real pleasure to be part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing it and I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. Look forward to seeing you around the lab and and we'll get you up and running with uh, Gen XCOM equipment here soon. So looking forward to that. Thank you. Perfect. All right. Take care. All right, guys. Cheers. Take care. Thank you all for joining this fantastic discussion. Be sure to stay tuned for more exciting and informational guests here on GXC Meshup. In the meantime, you can reach us at meshup at gxc.io for more information.